0: Well, good morning. Welcome to the second talk in our new sermon series looking at the book of Esther. Now, be honest with me, who had to search through the Bible to find the book of Esther? It's definitely one of the uh, least well-known books, isn't it? It's one of the ones that we um, sometimes miss out on. I've certainly not heard many talks on the book of Esther. But let me say this is a really good book there's so much that we can learn from it it's intriguing Uh, we just need to look past the pages sometimes and look at the bigger picture of this story raj gave a really helpful overview last week of the book of esther and where it sits in terms of the jewish history and indeed our history as christians as well It's important that we do see ourselves as part of this bigger picture of biblical history and the biblical story. The story of the Jewish people is our story. It's our roots and it points to Jesus. So the book of Esther is really good for that. And do you know, if I had to give one key theme, or one key message that you can take away from the book of Esther, because let's be honest, we all like to keep things simple, don't we? Um, the message would be that God knows exactly what he is doing. God is in control. Nothing happens outside of his plan or his authority. To use a biblical word, God is sovereign that is the message that is a key point that I want to lead off with straight away this morning what does that mean though God is sovereign well it means this and here this, this is important it means that there's no situation so dreadful that God can't use it there's no evil that God can't overthrow and there's no person that God can't teach or draw into him if he chooses I mean, what an uh, encouraging thing to think as we stand here at the start of a second national lockdown. God is in control. God knows what he's doing. Psalm 147 verses 4 and 5 say, He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name great is our lord and mighty in power his understanding has no limit the the god we worship is in control he's outside of understanding but all things happen by his design also we see in the book of isaiah um, chapter 46 verses 9 and 10 this is god he says i am god there is no other i am god there is none like me I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purposes will stand and I will do all that I please. God's plans always come to fruition. We also see Romans 8, 28, really famous passage. It says, um, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him those who've been called according to his purpose. God is in control of all things and all things happen because of his purpose. It's just such an exciting thought, isn't it? Check out this quote from Andrew Wilson. He says, God not only knows all things that happen, but he also knows all things which would have happened under different circumstances. He knows all possible outcomes from every situation. Nothing is surprising to God, nothing that you're going through, nothing that the world will throw at you, no situation. To put it simply, God is in control. He knows what he's doing. And that is the key theme of the book of Esther. And if you remember nothing else from this morning, then that is your takeaway point. The other thing to say, by the way, is that as a way of introduction to the book of Esther, is that it's one of only two books in the Bible not to mention God by name. The other one is uh, Song of Songs. Um, don't read that one with the, with the youth group or with your children, it's a bit of a, a weird one. Um, but the fact that God is not mentioned by name in the book of Esther is actually something that can bring us great heart. Because just like in Esther, we've got to look behind the scenes to see God working in a situation. It's the same with our lives sometimes. Sometimes we don't see God. Sometimes he can seem absent. A situation can look devoid of God. But if we look hard enough, if you look hard enough, you'll find him. And I can promise you that. Let's get to our passage then We're going to be looking at the second chapter of the book of Esther. Um, so let's read out the first couple of verses and continue our story. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful women in the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice uh, appealed to the king and he followed it so here we have the wonderfully named King Xerxes a few months after banishing his wife for refusing to be shown off in front of him and his drunk mates, realising that he's made a bit of a mistake and actually he's feeling a little bit lonely. Isn't that always the case, by the way, with things like drink and, and getting drunk? You always regret it afterwards, don't you, and realise what a doily you've been and, and you've got some apologies to make. <laughs> so the king decides it's time to find a new wife. And being the king of one of the world's most powerful empires, you can have a pick of any woman in the whole land. We tend to think about our um, generation and, and, and our time today as being obsessed with looks and outward appearance. But actually, it's nothing new. This story here, which is written 470 years before Jesus, people were obsessed with beauty and with looks, especially this king, definitely. See, essentially, the king sends out his soldiers to every part of the nation to round up the most beautiful young women and take them to his palace to live there. And you know, we can look at this and be absolutely repulsed. So, I have a young daughter, and the thought of someone taking her away when she's older to live in the queen's palace because she's beautiful, it's just repulsive. And I I don't like the sound of it, it's horrible. And I want to make something really clear, guys. This is really important that it's okay to find some things in the Bible uncomfortable. It's okay to be confused. Like, why is this in the book? It's shocking. Why is this okay? What is God doing in this? Actually, it's important that we're open and able to ask questions and explore what God's doing. That's actually a good reaction when it comes to reading the Bible. Let me tell you, and hear this is so important, don't ever be put off having a relationship with God because you find something in the Bible difficult. Don't ever be put off having a relationship with God because you find something in the Bible difficult and challenging. Instead, ask, study, we're in community, speak to other people in the church, pray. More often than not, read the bigger context, read what else the passage is saying, look at things through the eyes of Jesus. Okay, let's keep going then, starting again from verse 5. Now, there was in the citadel of Susa a a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer, the son of Shammai, the son of Kish, who had been carried in exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakin, the king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman who was also known as Esther had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when, when her father and mother died. So here for the first time we see uh, entering the story our hero Esther. And if you were wondering, Esther would have been named after a beautiful star shaped flower, um, which I find great, I find lovely, you know, um, because it tells you a lot about this lady. She was beautiful. She was gorgeous. Uh, but the main thing to say about Esther, this future queen, is that she was a complete and utter unlikely, an orphaned Jewish girl. So if you think about the person who's going to be the hero in any story, it's normally the obvious candidate on paper, the person with the most money or the best gifting or the best looks. But that isn't how God works, is it? Actually, God usually uses the unlikely. Look at Jesus' disciples. I mean, what an example of a bunch of nobodies that is. Listen, there's hope for all of us, because as we see at various points in the Bible, God raises up and uses unlikely people. I know for a fact that's my story, an an unconfident, shy, poor guy from the worst estate in probably the worst town in the northeast of England, chosen and loved by God. I'm still in awe every day that God would choose to work through me and it's just such an amazing thing the biggest unlikely of them all and this is exactly what we see in Esther the Jewish people were outcasts the refugees living as foreigners in the land like they were allowed to live their own lives yes but they were kept very separate from the main story and um, they were definitely looked down upon by the Persian people not only that though but um, Esther had no parents She was an orphan. Her older cousin Mordecai adopted her because she had no one else. She was an unlikely. And I wonder how you see yourself. Maybe you see yourself as an unlikely. Have you ever questioned how God could ever use you? If so, look at Esther and get hope from her story, because it isn't what the world sees, which is important. It's what God sees. It goes much deeper than that. And God chooses the unlikelies. Let's keep reading from verse 8. When the king's order and edict had had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Hegai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Hegai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favour. Immediately he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants, selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her national- nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. So Esther is taken away to the palace where she ends up being a favourite one of the king's attendants and gets special treatment. And this is where we start to see what sets Esther apart from others and what I absolutely love about this story. So we have an amazing line in verse 9. You might have missed this. Listen carefully. It says that Esther pleased him and won his favour. And that says something to me, because it's not that she found favour with him. It's not just that, you know, by her looks she found favour, although that was important. No, no, it says that she won favour. She won him over. This wasn't just about being the prettiest. No, no, this was about her character as well. And character is just so important, isn't it? I remember when I met my wife, Hayley, going back a lot of years now. Yeah, like, yes, she was beautiful. I loved that. That was, that was great. But actually more than that, it was her personality and her character that won me over. Uh, a passion for Jesus, a care for others, and the fact that she didn't care what people thought of her. Character is so important. And this is an important point for all of us on our walk with God. Your character is vital It's so, so important. It's often said that your character is the you that comes out when no one else is watching, or it's what really comes out of you when you're squeezed and when things get tough. It's what makes you you. Do you know, I remember when I first became a Christian, hearing loads about characters, like, God, you need to get your character right, you need to work on your character, is important. And it used to bug me, I was like, what's the deal with character? Why do you keep talking about character? Until I saw first-hand examples of the importance of character, and I got it wrong lots of times, and my character needed working on, and suddenly I realised how important character is. Jubilee, let God formulate your character. Let God get under your skin. Let him get hold of you. We talked about it earlier this year, didn't we? When we looked at the fruits of the spirit, you know, love, peace, patience, kindness, forbearance, goodness, self-control, faithfulness. Let these things become part of your character. You know, one of our values is that we inspire because God is our father. And the more like him that we become, the more that we inspire others. And that is so true. The more you focus on getting your character right, the more God will use you. I can guarantee that. I can guarantee it. And this is what we see with Esther. There's no substitute for good character. We got an example of Esther's character. We see it in her last verse that she didn't reveal her identity as a Jew on the request of her cousin Mordecai. She was obedient. Obedience is such a good character trait to have. She was obedient to her adopted father. Let's keep on reading then from verse twelve. Before a young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women. Six months with oil and myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics. Let's jump to verse 15. When the turn came for Esther to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Hegai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, had suggested. And Esther won the favour of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in a royal residence in the tenth month, the month of Tabeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women. She won his favour and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet esther's banquet for all his nobles and officials he proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality now as we get towards the end of our passage today um, we start with absolute humiliation 12 months of beauty treatments in order to get ready for the king i mean can someone remind Haley of that next time she tells me off for taking too long in the shower <laughs> seriously though no, though no. esther Is put into a situation where she has to spend a year being told that she's not good enough. That she's not beautiful enough to be in the king's presence. And that she needs to be made more beautiful. I mean, I could just imagine Esther feeling pretty degraded at that point. And let me tell you, we don't always agree with the situations and the circumstances that God puts us in. Sometimes we will face difficult times and we will question what on earth God is doing. And I'm sure Esther felt the same. She was put into this ridiculous year-long beauty regime for what, to be paraded in front of some king? For him potentially not even to be interested in her? I don't know what situation you're in at the moment. I don't know whether you can see God in it. But be encouraged as I shared earlier, that God works all things together for our good, despite how tough things are, despite our feelings towards a situation. We need to hear that at this time. We really do. So we see from verse 17, Esther did win the king's favour. Again, this time down not only to her beauty, but her character as well. Uh, She ended up being admired by everyone that saw her. I love that. And she was placed on the throne. She had made it into a position of power. An unlikely person, the last person that we would ever choose. But God had other ideas. He was in control. What an amazing place to end our passage. let me just leave you with a couple of thoughts just before we finish. You see, you can look at this, and you can look at this story we've read today, and you can say, well, how could God possibly be happy with this? Humiliating and degrading women, sex outside of marriage, perverted kings. And the answer is that God didn't agree with it. His laws to the Jewish people were clear. Sex is to be enjoyed with inside a marriage. We see that Esther ate the Persian food. She broke the Jewish food laws. God didn't approve of that. So yes, I would agree, God wasn't happy. God didn't approve of what was happening. But he was still able to work it out for his good. And that is important. And I want that to be our encouragement this morning. Whatever you're facing, personally. Whatever we're facing as a nation, whatever we're facing as a church, whatever we're facing as a people, however hard it is, however confusing it is, however absent God seems, God can and does overcome. And that is a fact. We need to look at the bigger picture. We need to look at the whole story. Because if not, we miss God completely. I mean, just imagine if we focus so much on the cross of Jesus that we missed his resurrection. Let me encourage you, look at the bigger picture and try and see God and his purpose in every situation. Cling to him. That is what our Christian walk is about. That is what the book of Esther teaches us. can I encourage you? Can we just look at the bigger picture at the moment of what God's doing? Because despite the situation at the moment, despite our church is not meeting in person, God is working in the lives of people in the UK. And we've got a part to play in that. Just check this out. 44% of adults in the UK admit that they pray and have prayed during the current crisis, despite or irrelevant of the fact that they're not part of a church. Not only that though, but during the first lockdown, 34% of young adults aged 18 to 34 tuned into some sort of online church service every week despite not being part of a church. On top of that, 1 in 20 adults who had never prayed before turned to prayer during the first lockdown. What does all of this mean? It means that God is on the move in our nation. God is on the move in the UK And we need to step up and see this despite of the circumstances. God's on the move in our church. We had a a full Alpha course back in June. We started another one this week with new guests starting a journey to explore faith for themselves. God is on the move, but maybe you've missed it. Maybe you're focused on a situation. Maybe you're frustrated that our churches aren't meeting. Maybe the idea of another lockdown has just left you feeling disillusioned. I know I felt like that. Don't miss God. Don't miss what he's doing. Do believe we go because God is light? Will we be the people that go and take the good news of God into a world that's clearly searching for it despite not seeing it? Like Esther, will we be obedient in the midst of confusion? And finally, will we be encouraged that God is working? God is working. Father God, I thank you so much that you're in control. God, I thank you so much that you have plans and purpose outside of our understanding. And Lord, I just want to pray, God, as we stand here at the start of the second lockdown, would you open our eyes and help us to see what you're doing, God? Would you help us to focus not on our situation, but on your plans and your purposes? Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the amazing, amazing works you're doing in our nation. And we pray would you help us to play our part in that, God? I pray for each of us in church today, whatever situation we're going through, God, would we not miss you in it? Would we not miss the big picture, lads? Thank you so much. We love you, lads. Amen. Thanks for watching. Have a great week, everyone.